All right. So we took a break from Exodus. So we're teaching through Exodus, but we're going to take a break from Exodus and we're going to spend um, some weeks on talking about our past, our present, and our future because next, next weekend we're going to celebrate our 40th anniversary as a church. And as we do that, we want to not just look to our past, but we want to look to our future. And last week we talked about some goals, some strategies that we wanted to highlight as a church as we look forward, as we look ahead to our future. Because when you celebrate an anniversary, you shouldn't just be focused on your past, you really should be focused on your future because each anniversary is just a milestone. It's a mile marker to where you're going. It's not just a mile marker of where you've been. And the first goal, the first strategy that we talked about was to, strength, to strengthen our cohesiveness in belief and practice. So as a church, we want to, as we move forward, we want to strengthen our cohesiveness in belief and practice. So this is one of the reasons that we have all of these children. It's one of the reasons that we have the children in here. It's a reason that we read a little story to them and it gives the gospel and it gives a picture of who God is and how they are to relate to God because all of these things are helping them develop a cohesive belief and practice. And so the goal is that as a church, not just as, as you are parents and families individually, you have a responsibility to raise up your children in the fear and nurture of the Lord. But we also have a responsibility as a church body to come alongside of you, to support you, to encourage you, to hold up your hands. Sometimes you just need someone to hold your hands up, right? But we come alongside of you as a church body and we all walk this faith together. We all worship together. We sing together. We study the Bible together. We hear the preaching of the word together. We come to the table together. The children are in here and as they grow up in that environment at home and the environment in the church, they're growing up with a cohesive belief and practice. This is how we have all come to be here today. So we are the church. We are the people of God. Well, when did that begin? Well, it began before it began before Jesus came. It began before Pentecost. It began when God said, let there be light, and then he ultimately on the sixth day created man as the crowning jewel of his creation. And so the people of God, the plan of God, began with God before creation. We are a product of that. And so how did we get here? We got here because people throughout the ages trusted God, worshipped God, walked out their faith in God. It looked different. It was in different environments. It was in different times. But what was constant was 
man's faith and man's worship of God. And that faith was passed down. And that tradition of worshiping God was passed down. And, and so this is how we're here today. We're here from all kinds of backgrounds. I, for one, grew up in a home where church wasn't a part of our weekly routine. I didn't go to church growing up. I came to faith in Christ after I graduated from college. Some of you, you can't remember a time when you were not in church. And that's good. And that's what we want for these little ones. We want these little ones to grow up and never remember a time when they were not in church and worshiping God. And they grow up with a love for God. But it doesn't matter where we're coming from, whether you grew up in church or you didn't grow up in church. The question is, we are the church, and now what is our belief and what is our practice as a church? And this is one of the reasons that each week we profess the Apostles' Creed, the oldest creed of the church. That word Catholic sometimes messes people up and say, well, you're not Catholic. No, we are Catholic in the sense that we are part of the universal church. We're not Catholic in a denominational sense, no. That's not what that word means. That word means I believe in the holy universal church of God. We are not the only church. You're not going to go to heaven because you were a member of Christ's fellowship. You're going to go to heaven. You're going to have eternal life because you were a part of the body of Christ. You were part of his universal body of believers that have existed long before we did and will exist long after our time on this earth. And so as a church, as a congregation, as Christ Fellowship Church, this particular congregation, our goal is, our desire is that we will become stepping stones for these little ones that you see coming up here for the story week in and week out. That's one reason we bring them into our service. Because we want them to grow up learning this is what the people of God do. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how young you are. This is what God's people do. They come together and they worship. And these little ones are taking in much more than you realize. They might seem distracted. They might seem like they're not paying attention. But they're learning. And as they grow up, they are learning a cohesive belief and practice of the church. And so this is a very important goal. And one of the ways, the most important way that we are going to strengthen our cohesiveness and belief and practice is to have a firm commitment to the gospel and the Great Commission. I tell people, we are a gospel-centered church. People say, well, what, what is your church? Are you non-denominational? Yes, we're non-denominational. Well, well, are you Pentecostal? Are you charismatic? Are you, what are you? I said, we are a gospel-centered church. We are a church that is centered in the gospel. Everything we do is about the gospel. The gospel defines who we are. The gospel defines our belief. The gospel defines our practice. The gospel should define who we are individually and who we are corporately. 
So a commitment to the gospel and the great commission. The gospel must be central to who we are and all that we do. And as the gospel is central, the great commission will be central in our belief and in our practice. So a commitment to the gospel is a commitment to the great commission. Now, we, when we say that, when we use that term, the great commission, you won't find that specifically in the Bible, but we call it the great commission because of what Jesus commanded his disciples found in Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20 is what we commonly refer to as the Great Commission. But did you know that the Great Commission is in all four Gospels and the book of Acts? So God was careful to put the Great Commission in every Gospel as well as in the Acts of the Apostles. Because the Acts of the Apostles was all about fulfilling the Great Commission. That's what's recorded in the book of Acts. It is the record of the church and how the church went out and fulfilled what Jesus commanded them. To be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the utter ends of the earth. So let's look at, I want to take you through and I want to read the Great Commission from each gospel in the book of Acts, and I want you to follow with me. So let's begin in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20. Father, as we get ready to look into your word, as we get ready to read and hear the gospel, Father, I pray that you would give us hearing ears. Open our hearts and open our minds. That, God, we would not just be a people with a unified belief system, but we would be a people, Lord, that are passionate about what we believe. And our belief translates into how we live our life. That it will be not just what we hold in our hearts and in our heads, but it will be what is manifest through our living, through our walking, through our talking. We ask that you would do this, Father for your glory, that you would use us to be witnesses to you and to bring glory to you in this community and beyond. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 28, 18, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. If you were in Sunday school this morning, we're studying church history. You, we talked about the Great Commission at the very end of our lesson. Now, I didn't teach Sunday school. Caleb teaches Sunday school. And I was sitting there, I'm like, wow, this is awesome, because he ends on the Great Commission. This is exactly what my sermon is going to be about today, the Great Commission. And one of the things that he very astutely pointed out in the Sunday School lesson is that Jesus did not just say, go. He said, go, therefore. And remember what I always tell you, when you see therefore in the Bible, you need to understand what it's there for. 
When you see therefore, know what it's there for. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven on earth. Go therefore. We can go and we are commanded to go because Jesus who has most authority in heaven and on earth, does he have most or does he have all? He has all. That's very important, church. Don't ever forget that. Sometimes we live our lives as though God has most authority, but, but there's these areas outside of his control. You know, the things that seem to be out of our control, the things that touch our lives and impact our lives, and we, we can't control them. And then, and then we act as though, well, God, as if God is not in control of these things. No, listen, he is in control of everything. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And Jesus, who received all authority in heaven and on earth, now commands us, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He didn't just send us out with his authority. He says, I am with you. There's a lot there in those verses that we should pay attention to. He tells us specifically what we are to do. We're to go. We're to make disciples. We're to baptize. We're to teach. We're to know that he is with us always and that we go in his authority. All right, let's turn to Mark. Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Let's just read the next two verses. Let's finish the words of Jesus here. And these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. What's most important here is that Jesus has commanded us to go and to preach the gospel to every creature. Now that term, to every creature, St. Francis, it is said, St. Francis of Assisi took that to heart and he preached not only to human beings, but he preached to the animals as well. Now whether you go out and preach to your dogs and cats or your cows or your whatever, livestock, that's between you. But here's the thing. <laughs> you are commanded to preach the gospel to human beings. The command to preach the gospel to human beings is not just the responsibility of pastors and teachers. It's not just the responsibilities of apostles and prophets and evangelists. We are, as believers, commanded to be preachers. The preacher is not just the guy who stands behind the pulpit on Sunday morning. 
you are commanded to be preachers of the gospel. Jesus doesn't qualify. He didn't say, go therefore you pastors and make disciples. He didn't say right here, go you pastors and teachers into all the world. He just said, go. He says to his disciples, go into all the world. Are you a disciple of Jesus? If you are, you are commanded to go and to preach the gospel. You don't have to go very far. I mean, the person in the cubicle next to you, the person in the yard next to you, the person in the grocery store line behind you, however God leads you, however he opens opportunity for you, preach the gospel. Don't just preach it with your words, but preach it with your life. We also talked about being a hypocrite today in Sunday school. Now, we're all hypocrites. I'm a hypocrite. We're all guilty of that. But don't use that as an excuse. I, very often people tell me, well, the reason I don't go to church is because church is full of hypocrites. Well, that's exactly right it is. And thank God we have a Savior who forgives us in our hypocrisy. But don't use your hypocrisy as a reason to not preach the gospel. Don't use your hypocrisy as a reason to sit down on God and become apathetic. Confess your sin to God, trust that he'll forgive you, then get up and go obey him and preach the gospel and make disciples. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. God has entrusted the gospel to you and to me so that we can proclaim it, so that men and women and children can believe and be saved. Let's go to Luke, Luke chapter 24. Luke 24, verse 46. So we have go therefore to the nations and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them. We have go preach the gospel to every creature. Here in Luke chapter 24, verse 46, Jesus said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You notice what Jesus says, thus it is written and thus it was necessary. Now Jesus is saying a lot right there. Thus it was written and thus it was necessary. What is written is necessary. We're reading what was written. The great commission was recited by Jesus. It was written by his disciples and now we're reading it, and there is the expectation that we are to obey it. It's necessary because it's written. Thus it was written, and thus it is necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. And it is also necessary that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Now remember that phrase, Jesus uses this repeatedly. This is the point of John 3.16, God so loved the world. 
He's talking to a Jewish audience. And so Jesus, the Son of God, is telling these Jews, listen guys, I know you're God's chosen people, but I want you to understand that the Father sent me here to save not just you, but to save the world. To save not just Jew, but to save Gentile. Or Mark says it this way, go and preach the gospel to every creature. The Jews could not argue with every creature. Every creature included not just the Jews, but it included the Samaritans whom they despised, and it included the Gentiles whom they were not to have anything to do with. Now, I don't know how many of you are ethnic Jews here today. I'm not. That means I'm a Gentile. And what Jesus said is the gospel is for me, a Gentile. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. In other words, Jesus came to his own people, the Jews. But salvation went beyond the Jews and it went to the world. It went to every creature. It went to the nations. And thus, here we are in Taylor, Texas today, a predominantly Czech and German little culture, little town. I don't know how many of you are Czech. I'm half Bohemian. If you don't know what that is, I'll tell you later on. But my identity is not in what my father or my grandfather was. My identity now is in Christ. I'm not known anymore as half Czech or half Scotch-Irish. I am a Christian I am now in Christ and my identity is not the color of my skin. It is the blood of Jesus. It's not what kind of blood I have from my earthly fathers. It is the blood of Jesus that saved me, redeemed me, and made me a new creation. That now is our identity. That's why Paul writes in his letters, there is now no longer Jew nor Greek nor male, nor female, nor slave, nor free, nor barbarian, Scythian. It's not that Paul is saying God abolished gender. He didn't. Gender is still very real, and we should acknowledge it, and we should respect it the way God created it to be, not the way man wants it to be. What we see now is the salvation of God, the anointing of God, the Holy Spirit falls on all flesh. All flesh doesn't mean it falls on your puppy dog or your little kittens. All flesh means that it's poured out on Jew, it's poured out on Gentile, it's poured out on male, it's poured out on female. The sign of the covenant is now not just given to little boys eight days old, the sign of the covenant is now given to male and female because we are all covenant children. We have all received the Holy Spirit by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so when we see the Great Commission, we see this very specific language that is knocking down walls of separation, that is bringing us all into the family of God regardless of our ethnicity, regardless of our skin color, regardless of our gender. 
We are children of God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It is necessary that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Go to John chapter 20. Out of all the gospels, John, John is the gospel in which the Great Commission is most difficult to find if you're not looking for it. You might miss it, but it's in there, trust me. John chapter 20, verses 21 through 23. Jesus is telling his disciples, he's commanding his disciples in all of these instances, it is after his resurrection. John chapter 20, verse 21. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. There it is. There is the command to go. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. When we preach the gospel to men, we are proclaiming the forgiveness of God. And what we're saying is, if you will trust in Jesus, if you will call upon Jesus, your sins will be forgiven. We don't have the power to forgive sins. We have the power to proclaim the forgiveness of sins because of what Jesus has done, not because of what we have done. We are proclaiming the forgiveness that God has appropriated for us through the redemption that he gives to us in Jesus Christ. There is the great commission in John's gospel, John chapter 20, verse 21 through 23, and he specifically says, I also send you. Now go to Acts chapter 1. The book of Acts was written by Luke, so the gospel of Luke, was writ written by Luke, who was a Greek physician. Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, was also written by the same gentleman, Dr. Luke. And he wrote it down as a record for his friend to give witness to all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. That's in verse 1 of Acts, chapter 1. But in Acts, chapter 1, verse 8 is recorded for us the Great Commission in one verse. These are the words of Jesus. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now let me just say this. Acts chapter 1, the words of Jesus, gives context to Mark chapter 16. What I have experienced and what I've seen some churches do is take Mark chapter 16 and get all hung up on the casting out of devils and, and the drinking poison and, and uh, healing the sick to the point that they become very focused on those things, but they're not at all focused on preaching the gospel to every creature. And here in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus tells us exactly why he gives to us the Holy Spirit. He gives us the Holy Spirit that we would have power to be witnesses to him in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
So there is the Great Commission recorded in each of the Gospels in the book of Acts. Now we're talking about our congregation, our church, coming into a more cohesive belief and practice, not just now for us, but for the generations coming behind us, for these little babies. So to be fully committed to the gospel and the Great Commission, we need to be a people that are united as a whole in our belief. And our belief, in turn, must produce a lifestyle and a practice that manifests the power and the transformation of the gospel. If you profess to be a Christian, there should be evidence of a transformation that has taken place in your life. Now, we need to be a people who are patient. And God shows us how transformation takes place. You want to know how transformation takes place? Watch a tree grow. You want to know how transformation takes place? Watch a child grow. And now, if you just sit and watch a tree or a child grow, you're going to be sitting there for a long time, and it's going to seem as though nothing's happening. But we all know that as we live our lives and we go about doing the things that God has ordained us to do, then we come back and we look at that child and it's like, wow, you've grown up. You've grown. Or we come back and we look at that tree and we say, wow, look, that tree's grown two feet. This is how transformation happens. It's a process. Some children grow faster than others. Some trees grow faster than others. Some people grow spiritually and mature faster than others. But here's the point. If you are in Christ, if you have been saved by the gospel, there will be a transformation and a manifestation of that transformation taking place in your life. The goal of strengthening our belief and our practice is that each of us would consistently put our beliefs into practice and so create a lifestyle that is consistent with God's purpose and God's glory. What is God's purpose? Well, we just read in part what his purpose is. His purpose is that we would go out as the church, as the people of God, as disciples of Christ, and we would make disciples of the nations. That we would preach to every creature, that we would teach them all that Jesus has taught us that we would teach them to observe those things. Christ fellowship must be more than an ensemble of people with similar beliefs. We must be a people united in the commitment to live and to work for the purpose of God and the glory of God. These, I, I love Sunday mornings. I always have since I started attending church regularly, having never grown up in church, having only gone to church for weddings and funerals and the occasional holiday, and, and really having no desire to be in church. And then God saves me, and it took me a little while, but once I, I, I found a church and I got involved, it, it's just been a part of my life. Before I became a pastor, it was a part of my life. And I believe in part it, it, it's, it was a part of my life because of what Christ has done in me. And so when we talk about 
a commitment to the life and the work for God's purpose. This is a huge part of it. It's a huge part of God's purpose, the church coming together, growing together, maturing together. The gospel and the Great Commission are more than a theological concept or idea that we hold in our head. The gospel and the Great Commission, they are lifestyles. They are a lifestyle and a practice to empower and to impact the details of our life. The gospel should impact the details of our life. It should impact how we do our work. It should impact how we love one another. It should impact how we come together. It should impact how we work together, how we play together. It should impact our families personally and our family corporately. It should absolutely impact our community. Listen, if all we're going to do is come together here on Sunday morning and learn a bunch of cool stuff about, about God and and, and, and neat things about the Bible, but we never carry that back out into our communities and we never see a transformation take place in our community, then, then we've missed the entire point of why God saved us. Because God didn't save us just so we could come together in our churches and, and grow in the knowledge of Him. God saved us so that we could come together as the church, grow in the grace and the knowledge of Him, and then take that grace and that knowledge and let it spill over into our community, into our family, into our friends. Yes, into our community and into our world. If that's not happening, then we need to regroup and we need to refocus and we need to refire and get it right. Because that's why God saved us. That's why he's given us the gospel because God wants his glorious image to fill this earth. And it's going to do it as the people of God preach the gospel of God in obedience to the great commission of God and see that message transform the world. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. So to say the gospel is vital to our life is an understatement. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. It's not simply some belief we hold. It is the power that God has entrusted to us. And if the gospel has saved us, then the power of God will be manifest as working in our life and bringing about that transformation. It's called the Great Commission. And Jesus in Luke's gospel says, it is written, thus it is necessary. So obedience must accompany salvation. The least part of our transformation should be seen in our obedience to God. Remember, we're not obeying God to get saved. We are saved, therefore obedience should become a part of our life. It's a fruit of the Spirit, self-control. There used to be a, a saying, I think Flip Wilson, an old comedian, you probably don't know who he is unless you're at least my age or older. And Flip Wilson had a saying, he said, the devil made me do it. Now listen, the devil can't make you do anything. Do you realize that, Christian? I hear people 
you know, some, well, the devil just got a hold of me and made me. No, listen, the devil cannot make you do anything. In fact, the Bible never ever teaches in any place that the devil makes us do anything. In fact, James says we're not drawn away by God. We're not tempted by God. It doesn't even say we're tempted by the devil. It says we're drawn away by our own lusts and desire. The devil doesn't have the power to make you do anything, but the devil does have the power of suggestion. And he is always suggesting things. And he suggests things that are consistent with our own lusts and desires. It's not the devil that makes us do anything. It's our own lusts and desires that make us do things. And so what is the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. What does that mean? That means God has now given me the power by his Spirit to bring my thoughts into captivity, to make them obey Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. It's exactly what those verses tell us. And one of the fruits of the Spirit is my ability to walk in obedience to the truth of God. That's a fruit. That should be manifest in our life. It should be a desire in our heart even when we fail miserably at walking in obedience to God. And if you fail, and I'm sure you do if you're like me, it's not that you want to fail. It's not that you find pleasure in failing. When you fail, the conviction is there, and that's right, and that's good. That conviction that you feel is the Holy Spirit working in you, growing you, maturing you, helping you grow out of those lusts and desires so that you can walk in obedience to God. So obedience accompanies salvation. The great commission is not a great suggestion. It is a great commandment. Jesus didn't say, here's my suggestion for you. Go therefore and make disciples. No, it's a commandment. Commandments are given to be obeyed. The great commission is a commandment Jesus gave his church. You and I are here today because men and women took that commandment seriously and obeyed it. A commitment to the great commission has cost Countless people, their lives. We pray for the persecuted church every week. There are men and women all over the world right now losing their lives for the sake of the gospel in obedience to the Great Commission. So, a commitment to the gospel and a commitment to the Great Commission is not optional, but it is essential for Christ fellowship. It is essential for your personal life, it's essential for your family, it's essential for your church. A commitment to the gospel and a commitment to the Great Commission is essential for God's purpose and God's glory. So we see that a commitment to the gospel and a commitment to the Great Commission is a commitment to seek and to see the salvation of God for all men. This is why Jesus came into the world. Not to condemn the world, but to save the world. That's what John 3, 16 and 17 says. We are to have a heart for these things. In fact, we are to have the heart of Christ. If you read the Gospels and you see Jesus being moved with compassion as he encountered the lost and those who were like sheep that had gone astray, He's moved with compassion for the lost. And if we have the heart of Christ, we too should be moved to act 
to obey, to go and to fulfill all that he has commanded. This is the heart that we see in Christ. Christ did what he did for love. He obeyed the Father because of his love for the Father. We are to obey Christ because of our love for Christ. And why do we love Christ? Because he first loved us. You were once lost, and God used people in all sorts of ways, ways that you don't even know, ways you're not aware of. God has used people in your life to bring the gospel to you and ultimately to bring you to salvation. That's why we should commit to be people with a heart for God, a heart for his gospel that will give witness to Christ and his salvation. My encouragement is that you commit to be a person who lives above, who lives above all for the glory of God. It's so easy for us to live for our own purpose, for our own plans. It takes faith, it takes sacrifice, and it takes a commitment to be a person that will live for God's glory above all. And this is what God calls us to. This is what the gospel calls us to. So as a church, one of our goals as we move forward is to strengthen our cohesiveness in belief and in practice to make a firm commitment to the gospel and to the great commission. If we fail to do that, then we have really failed in everything else because that is the purpose of the church. It is the purpose of Christ's fellowship. It is our purpose as believers. This is the glory of God to make him known, to make disciples. So I challenge you to make a firm commitment to the gospel and to the great commission, to make a firm commitment to the generations for his glory. I commend, I want to do this, I commend you parents who have your babies in here. And I know it can be challenging. And I know for you who don't have babies, it can be challenging. But there's a reason we've done this on purpose. Because we're not just in this for what we're going to get out of it for today. We're in this for the long haul. And our goal and our aim is that these little ones grow up in an environment and they see their parents and their grandparents. Now, Mr. Moore, I don't want to embarrass you, but I'll tell you what, I walked in and I saw my little grandson sitting on Mr. Moore's lap. He's a first-time visitor. And there is little Ezra sitting on his lap just as happy and as peaceful as can be. And here is this first-time visitor just holding that little baby in his lap like that was his grandson or great-grandson. Now this church, this is what this is about. That our children grow up in this environment and they're not intimidated by bigger people. But they just, they just realize that this is the church. Now they might not realize that right now when they're this tall, but they're going to grow up and they're going to realize this is the church. This is who we are. 
Yeah, I have a Pawpaw and I have a Gigi, but I have a lot of other people in my life too that are just like Pawpaw and Gigi. And they love me and they accept me and they embrace me whether I'm laughing or crying. This is how we fulfill the commandment in the Proverbs to train up our children in the fear and nurture of the Lord. That commandment's given to parents, but it's not just given to parents, it's given to all the people of God. We are the people of God, and this is how we're gonna raise up the generations. But we're not gonna do that just because we have a nice, friendly environment in our churches on Sunday morning. We're gonna do that because we take seriously the gospel and the Great Commission. And we're gonna take what we have, what we learn, what we hear, what God imparts to us when we come together corporately, when you read your Bible and study it personally, we're gonna take that out and we're gonna transform our community by the power of God. And we're gonna transform our families by the power of God. And we're gonna see the church transformed by the power of God. That must become a goal, a primary goal that we have as a church as we move forward. And we all play a part in that. Amen? Look around, church. Look at the diversity of this body. We're not a large church, but I'm always amazed as I look around and I see the diversity that God brings into his body. And this is exactly what Paul the Apostle was telling the church to do in his letter to the Corinthians when he said, discern the body of Christ. He wasn't talking about discerning that bread or that wine. He was talking about the people. Look at the people. We are all in Christ. We are all identified as believers. It's not based on how much money we have in the bank or not based on our skin color. It's based on God's grace and our faith in Jesus Christ. Let's stand. This is why God commands us to keep his commission. This is how we've come to be in this place today. So I charge you to make a firm commitment to the gospel and to the Great Commission. I charge you to make a firm commitment to Christ, to his church, to Christ's fellowship, as you count yourself members, and most importantly, to the glory of God. The harvest is ripe. It's what Jesus said 2,000 years ago. It is even more ripe right now. God charges all of us to go out, to gather it in. Each week you leave this building, you go into the mission field. Today as you go, go in the power of his gospel with the heart and a purpose to fulfill his great commission. Be a witness for Christ every day in every way. Go and gather them and bring them in. Amen.